You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Today we're going to be talking about our weaknesses, um, and I know you guys think I don't have any, but I do. Um, <laughs> um, so maybe you guys wouldn't believe me if I told you, but I am not the greatest firefighter. <laughs> not just because I'm in a wheelchair. Before I was in a wheelchair, um, I lived in Chesapeake at the church I was at before this, and it uh, the church sat at the front of a um, mobile home park, and the parsonage for the for the youth minister was a double-wide trailer where I lived for the two years that I was there. And so um, I was responsible for mowing the little plot of grass that was around my trailer. And, um, and the guy behind me that, that lived in the trailer behind me like rented it, and so he didn't mow his yard. So I was a nice neighbor, and I was, and I, like, the grass was like this high. And so um, I was being a nice neighbor, thinking I was being a nice neighbor, and I went to mow, you know, it was just like you know, four feet. Like I just had to go across it twice. Um, but, um, I ran over a, like an aerosol can. I think it was like tire cleaner. Um, and my lawnmower (laughs) caught on fire and a ball of flames lit his trailer on fire. (laughs) And, um, and, and, you know, like trailers are like, could burn down very fast. Right. Like, so I'm like, (laughs) I don't know what to do. Right. Like I have no clue what to do in this situation. Like I throw my lawnmower um, and it like goes out. I run inside and I start filling up a bowl of water. <laughs> like I, and Robin's like, what are you doing? I like what my wife is um, confused at the situation. I'm like, I caught the neighbor's house on fire. I'm getting water to put it out. It's just like call the fire department. <laughs> and I, so I, I stopped the bowl of water. I grabbed a um, fire extinguisher from under our cabinet, which was about like a two liter bottle. And it was like, I went to the house and I'm like, Pfft. And it was empty, like that was it, and it didn't do anything. And so, like at this point, like I, I run inside the church, um, and grab the two big fire extinguishers, and I come out. And by this time, my neighbor, who's a really cool dude, lives in uh, lived in front of the trailer park too, had stretched his hose out and was like hosing down the house. And um, and I just remember like like he had taken care of it, like I think it was out, but we used the fire extinguishers to make sure it was out. Um, the fire, like in the meantime, like we went inside the house, the door was unlocked. <laughs> The guy wasn't home um, and uh, made sure that there was no fire inside. It didn't seem to be. I think it was a meth lab, so good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there, was a lot of, there was a lot of debris, like, like just mess everywhere that could have like easily caught flames. <laughs> Sorry, that was me. Um, so we come back out. The fire department shows up. And to be sure that the um, insulation underneath the, the trailer didn't catch on fire. They, they ripped out all of the underskirting. So you know how trailers sit up, you know, kind of like have a crawl space. They ripped it all out. Um, like there was no damn, like it was a little melty um, on the siding. Um, but like the real damage was done by the fire department ripping out the whole underskirting of the house so they can get under it to make sure nothing was on fire. So the guy's not home, like I said, and that um, didn't do a very good job fighting the fire. Uh, but I did, like, I, like we, we took care of it. Like, I lit your house on fire, but I put it out. Um, he comes home, like, from work at, like, 10 o'clock at night. There's a bang. On, like, I, I left a note, like, sorry about your house. <laughs> I was trying to be a good neighbor. Um, and he comes and knocks, what? What'd you, ex- expletive deleted? What'd you do to my house? Um, I'm sorry, I lit it on fire, but I put it out. So, um, 
Can we be friends? Um, I was just trying to mow your yard. I was trying to be a good neighbor. So I'm not a good firefighter. One of my weaknesses. Um, even worse now that I'm in a wheelchair, probably. Um, so what are your weaknesses? What are your failures? What, is, what, what hurts when you think about it? Because um, I think we're not honest sometimes with our weaknesses. Have you ever been to a job interview and they ask you, like, what's your biggest weakness? And you're like, I don't have any. What do you mean? You know, like, that's offensive. Why would you say that? Um, but, or, or you answer, like, like, you say some, like, weakness that's really a strength. Like, I feel like I work too hard. I feel like I'm too loyal to the company that I work for. You know, like, like you, you, make it sound, you make it sound like a weakness, right? Um, so we need to be honest with our weakness because the Bible is, right? The Bible doesn't um, go around the fact that we are weak, right? Like every character in the Bible has their weaknesses. We have our weaknesses. The church has its weaknesses. Um, and so we've been in this uh, series now called The Grit of Grace, and we've defined grace as God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Um, and in my mind, like I think about the big things, right? Like God does for me like salvation, right? Like he gets me out of going to hell and gets me into heaven, like, like the big picture things. But I think sometimes I also need him in the smaller things, right? The things that I can't fully do on my own. I need his grace to, to make up for where I lack. Um, and sometimes that's like I can do 10%. God, you're going to have to do the 90% like this sermon. Um, sometimes it's like, I can do 90% of this, God, but you're going to have to fill up the rest of the way with your grace, right? And so we need to be honest um, about our weakness so that God's grace um, can be our strength because God works in our weaknesses. God works through me despite my failures. And maybe those little things that I need God's help with are actually big things to God. So today I want to run through the whole story of the Bible. Um, we, we got to run because it's a long story. <laughs> um, and look at the characters and look at the stories of God's grace when we fail, when we're weak, and when there is pain. So let's start off with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, if you want to follow along. God calls Abraham, Abram at the time, before he was Abraham. Um, God calls Abram and Abram goes. That's a strength of Abram, right? He has faith. He trusts God and he follows God. So Abram takes his wife Sarai. Um, and they followed God, and eventually they end up in Egypt because there's a famine, and they had to go to Egypt where there was enough food. And so Abram's plan was to present Sarai as his sister, not his wife, right? Like, I don't know. It made sense to Abram. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. But apparently the world was a bad place, or at least Egypt was the kind of place that when refugees showed up, they killed the husband and kept the wife if they wanted her, right? Like, very harsh world they lived in. And the plan worked because apparently, um, because when Abram presented Sarai as his sister, Pharaoh liked her and took her as his wife, right? Um, and this whole situation is a mess, right? Pharaoh takes Sarai as his wife and he gives Abraham stuff, right? He, like he pays Abraham for her, kind of like a bride price or something. He basically bought what he thought was Abram's sister, um, and then we pick up in verse 11 of chapter 12. It says, But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? Probably because you would have killed me. If I <laughs> so that I took her as my wife. Now, now, now here is your wife. Take her, take her back and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him and they sent him away with all that he had. So it worked out, right? Like, like the whole, like, she's my sister, not my wife. 
got Abraham lots of stuff, and then he ended up back with his wife. Like, it's a mess. Like, it's a weakness. Like, it's not, a, it's not the right thing to do, Abram. And yet God works through it. God continues to show grace. God continues to make this, this whole thing work. In chapter 15, God promises to make Abraham a great nation. But Abraham complains because he doesn't have any kids yet. He doesn't have any heirs. He doesn't have any offspring to carry on the promise that God is talking about. And so he says to God in verse 3, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will have to be my heir. But God reassures him that he will have his own kids and that he will be able to pass on this promise to his own family, that his family will grow as numerous as the dust of the earth and the stars of the sky, that one day, though you don't have any kids right now, your offspring will be unable to be counted. And then we pick up in chapter 16. Sarai, she's losing faith, right? She's given up. She doesn't think that she's going to be able to have kids, maybe because she's 76 years old. And so she comes up with a plan, right? And it kind of resembles Abram's plan with the whole Egypt and Pharaoh thing. Uh, She says, I'm not going to have any kids. So take my servant Hagar as your wife so that she can bear offspring so that we can carry on our family. And Abram goes along with it, right? And he, and he marries Hagar, um, and Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, and as you would expect, ruins everything, right? Like, this doesn't work out. This is a bad plan, Sarai. Sarai gets so mad about the whole situation that she gets violent with Hagar and sends Hagar away. Then in chapter 20, Abraham does it again. He claims that Sarah is his sister, um, and she is taken by another king as a wife. But God intervenes again, and she's returned to Abraham. Finally, in chapter 21, Isaac is born. And it's funny. That's what his name means. It's laughter. Um, Isaac, little known fact, does the same thing. Apparently, it runs in the family. Isaac offers his wife as a sister to a foreign king. So over and over again, this story is a mess. And like, as I was like reading through Genesis, have you guys done this lately? Like, oh, <laughs> like, like it reminds me that God is entering into a struggle too. Like, like we struggle. I get that. But like God is willing to struggle. Like he chose this guy, Abram, to be uh, the family that he would work through. Right? Like, like God's grace continues to make up for the weakness of Abram and Sarah. Like just reading the story of this struggle where God enters in and fills up where we're lacking. Abraham is supposed to be the foundation, right? Like he is the person that God enters into time and history and to his life invites, makes room in God's life for Abram to be the, the, the foundation of God's people, right? That eventually leads us to Jesus. But we see that if this was up to Abram, it would have failed over and over again. And God's people would have never gotten off the ground. And so Isaac um, grows up, marries uh, Rebecca, like I said, does the same thing, offers her as his sister to a foreign king as a wife. Um, but um, the, Isaac and Rebecca give birth to twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau uh, was the firstborn, uh, which, which is a big deal uh, in that culture because um, that entitles him to the biggest inheritance. But Jacob and his mother, they were tricky, um, and the, uh, Rebecca wanted Jacob to have the inheritance. Uh, so Jacob ends up deceiving his dad by impersonating Esau, um, and Isaac gave Jacob the firstborn blessing while Esau was out hunting. And this made Esau pretty mad, as you would expect. Um, And so Jacob has to flee. He has to run away because he's afraid that Esau is going to kill him. 
And so Jacob and Esau were estranged for years, right? Jacob's on the run. He's, he's running away from his past, running away from his deceitfulness. Um, he settles down in his uncle's land. He marries, um, but all the while living with this, this, this label of deceitful, liar, like stealer of his brother's blessing. Um, but time comes and, and Jacob decides it's time to make amends with Esau, which is risky because like, he doesn't know if Esau's going to kill him on sight, right? Like, like I've got to go make amends to Esau, but he might kill me. Um, so along the way, um, he sets out to go meet Esau. Um, and along the way, so we're in chapter 32 now, Genesis, Jacob encounters God. Now, this encounter turns into a wrestling match. Um, Jacob's hip is permanently injured in the wrestling match, yet he didn't tap out, right? Like God's like, tap out, tap out. Um, and Jacob's hip is uh, dislocated, but he won't let go. He won't quit. You know, through the pain and through the suffering of a dislocated hip, um, Jacob insists that this man that he's wrestling, that I guess at some point he realized this is God that I'm wrestling, not a man. Like, and I, like, is this a cameo of Jesus in the Old Testament? I'm not sure. Like, when God is a man, it's Jesus. Um, I don't know. But God's a good wrestler. God, like, submits uh, Jacob. And uh, Jacob insists, like, like, tell me your name and give me your blessing. The man doesn't give uh, Jacob his name, but he gives Jacob a new name. Because Jacob meant deceiver. Jacob meant grabber. Like, he grabbed his brother's uh, inheritance. And so Jacob's new name uh, is Israel, which we're not sure what that means, but a lot of people think it means to struggle or to wrestle with. Um, so Jacob walks away with a limp, and he walks away with a new name that means struggle, and he walks away from, with a blessing from this God. And I've come to think that the struggle is the blessing, right? Like, like Jacob, Israel, this character, He's a mess of humanity, right? In his deceit and his guilt and his fear, he had been running away for most of his life since he stole uh, that blessing through deception. Now he wrestles and he struggles for this blessing. Maybe he struggles in, the, maybe he struggles as the blessing, right? Maybe the struggle is the blessing, right? His hip is wrecked. He can't run anymore. Maybe the injury, maybe the pain is the blessing. Maybe the pain, maybe the injury is the grace. So Jacob goes on to have, Jacob, now Israel, goes on to have 12 sons, which brings us to Genesis 37. And uh, Israel, Jacob, plays favorites, which I don't recommend with your kids. Like, don't pick a favorite. Um, but his favorite was Joseph. Um, we knew this because Joseph had the coolest coat, right? He had the coat of many colors. Um, now, Joseph, um, he had the cool coat. He was his dad's favorite, which means his brothers didn't like that very much. Um, on top of that, he had dreams. And Joseph's like this innocent, like naive, just excited kid. Like, hey, guys, I had a dream. Guess what? Um, and he tells his brothers this dream. And it's basically a dream telling, him, telling his brothers that one day they're going to bow down to him. Like, brothers, I'm going to be an authority over you one day. Isn't that a cool dream? They're like, no, it's not. So they decide to kill him. And at the last second, there's this envoy of, of traders going by, and they decide to sell Joseph um, instead so that they made a profit, right? And they tell Jacob, Israel, they tell their dad that um, Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. Um, so Joseph gets sold into slavery, right? He gets sold um, to Potiphar. Now we're in chapter 39. And Potiphar served um, 
on Pharaoh's court. Uh, Potiphar was pretty well-to-do. Um, and Joseph did such a good job for Potiphar that he promoted, that Potiphar uh, promoted Joseph to like top servant, right? Like, like I give you everything I own, like you're in charge. I don't have to worry about it. You take care of it. And Joseph did a good job with everything that was Potiphar's. But Potiphar's wife kept trying to get friendly with Joseph. Um, and Joseph knew better, right? Like he tried to avoid this, like, no, 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 bad idea. Potiphar's my master. I don't want to make him mad. Um, but at some point, she grabs his cloak and Joseph runs away naked um, and ends up in prison because of all that um, Potiphar's wife said about Joseph. So now Joseph's in prison. But the same thing happens. Joseph gets promoted and promoted and promoted in prison until he's like the warden of the prison. Um, he's the prisoner that takes care of all of the prisoners and everything going on in prison. And so one thing leads to another. Joseph interprets dreams of other prisoners, and those prisoners end up in Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh has a dream that needs to be interpreted. And they're like, hey, go to Joseph. He interprets dreams. He interpreted my dream. Um, so Pharaoh ends up going to Joseph. Pharaoh um, has a dream, and Joseph interprets the dream. And Joseph ends up as second in charge, like equal with Pharaoh in Egypt. And then Joseph, interpreting Pharaoh's dream, saved Egypt from famine by saving up from seven years of abundance in preparation for seven years of famine. And so the famine was so bad in the land that Joseph's family shows up to Egypt because Egypt was the only one that had enough food to feed everybody. So Joseph's brothers end up bowing down to Joseph because they were hungry. <laughs> Finally. So, so this whole like story of Joseph, like the ups and downs, the, I'm my dad's favorite. I'm betrayed by my brothers. I'm Potiphar's favorite. I'm in prison. I'm the best one in prison. I'm Pharaoh's next in line. Like I'm so so all these ups and downs, right? Like, like it seemed like Joseph's life must have been a struggle. But he seemed to accept the struggle. He seemed to accept the pain and the, he allowed God to work through the pain and the weakness that he found himself in. So this grit of Joseph's life seemed unfair. It seemed overwhelming. But the big picture of God's plan and the grace that led him to lead a foreign country is clearly seen through this story. But if we put ourselves in the story, right, if we experience the pain of betrayal and the weakness of Joseph who had no control over his circumstances, we'd find a story that we'd have trouble trusting God, right? We'd have trouble trusting that God's grace was going to work. We'd have trouble holding on to hope. We'd have trouble trusting that God would do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Over and over again, it seems to be the story of Scripture that God's grace works in the pain. Now we get to Moses. Right? We've made it out of Genesis. Here we go. We're all the way to Exodus. We've got a long way to go still. Okay, um, so because Joseph's life um, led to salvation for Egypt and his family, Jacob, Israel, settled there and... Um, and they prospered, as was promised to Abraham. Um, so we've made it out of Genesis, Genesis into Exodus, and it's been 400 years. And in that 400 years, the Israelites grew so much they were, that they were outnumbering Egyptians in Egypt. There were more Israelites in Egypt than Egyptians. And so this new Pharaoh, who doesn't really know or appreciate the history of what Joseph did for Egypt, um, and in fear of how many Israelites there were, he enslaves the Hebrew people, and he treats them harshly. He even tries to control their population by 
by giving orders to kill any baby boys born to the Israelites. And he, and he set impossible labor expectations with severe punishments for those who don't produce enough bricks. And so we meet Moses, who is rescued um, from, from being killed, one of the babies born at that time, by the daughter of Pharaoh, who raises him as her own. And he grows up to witness the mistreatment of his own people. He sees a slave driver beating um, an Israelite, and he murders him. This causes fear, and so, so Moses flees Egypt. At some point, there's a burning bush, and God calls him back to Egypt. All the while, Moses is complaining and making excuses as to why it shouldn't be him. Not me. Like I'm, They don't like me there. Not me. I'm not a good public speaker. Not me. I don't know how to lead that many people. Yet, Moses becomes this iconic Bible figure, right? Like he is the symbol of salvation, the symbol of liberation for God's people, symbol of how God works through people to fulfill his purposes, even in our weakness and in our pain. Moses leads Israel to liberation and freedom as God forms this nation unlike the other nations. Again, Moses' story is a story of God's grace, doing what Moses could not do, right? It's a struggle for Moses, and it's a struggle for God. God enters into the struggle with us. He wants to wrestle with us. He wants us to struggle with him in fulfilling his purposes. And that, and that struggle was, was beautiful, and it was difficult at the same time. But grace made room for this guy that was a murderer and had all these excuses and complained all the time. It made room for this guy to be God's answer to a people who were crying out because they were being oppressed. And we see God's grace continuing to work from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, who becomes Israel to Joseph to Moses to the Israelite people. And so Moses leads them out. And, and they enter into 40 years of wandering in the desert, right? Like, that's a struggle. Um, but God uses this wandering to form a people, right? Like in God's grace, this forms them, right? It was a time that they depended on God because they had to. It was a time that God's grace made up for what they couldn't do on their own. There's this grace in the struggle, this surviving in the desert. God is forming a kind of people that have to trust him, right? God, God teaches them to trust him for enough for today, right? He provides manna and, and the manna from heaven, and, and he tells them, just take enough for today and trust me that I'm going to give you some tomorrow. And they had trouble doing that, right? They, they wanted to store up so they had enough for tomorrow, not trusting that God would provide to, for tomorrow on tomorrow, right? And, and they wanted to save up. And, and they had this fear of being a nation without a king. Like God said, I'm your king. And yet they kept insisting, no, 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 we need a king like all the other nations. And God was pretty clear that, no, 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 <laughs> you don't. Like this isn't what's best for you. But in God's grace, he accommodates them, right? Like, like he gives them a king anyway, like explaining like, it's not going to be easy when you have a king. It's not going to be what's best for you. So I'm giving you grace and giving you a king, but I'm also going to have to have, give you grace because of all the mess you're going to get into with a king, right? Because kings aren't perfect, even the best one, right? It's going to take grace to make this thing work. And so we go from Abraham, now we're all the way up to King David, right? The second king of Israel. So after the mess that Saul made, who was the first king, um, David is in charge, right? David is king. And we know that power is corrupting. And David, although he was 
a man after God's own heart made some mistakes. Right? And, and then this one mistake led to more mistakes in order to cover up that mistake. So David commits adultery with Bathsheba, whose husband is a soldier in David's army who is away on the battlefield. So to cover up the pregnancy, he invites uh, her husband Uriah back from battle, and Uriah refuses to go home to visit with Bathsheba. As long as the other soldiers are out there and they don't get to come home, I'm not going home. So David kept going deeper and deeper into this mistake and making more mistakes, and he gave orders for Uriah to be put on the front line and then he instructed all the soldiers to withdraw, leaving Uriah to die at the hands of the enemy. But it was David who killed Uriah, right? Like he put him in that situation. It's all on him. And he felt horrible. And afterward he repented. But this mess was made, right? Like David's weakness, David's sin, David's failure. Only God's grace could make up for that, right? Like David's failures and bad decisions. And yet we, we know that David, this good king, even though he made mistakes, God restores, God gives grace. So with kings come prophets, right? The king needs a prophet to tell him when he's wrong, which happened with David. So, so one of the prophets um, is Jonah. You guys know the story of Jonah, right? The big fish, the storm, um, swallows Jonah. So, so here's the thing. Jonah was racist. Um, Jonah was racist against the Ninevites, uh, which is exactly who God called him to, right? He, he did not like the Ninevites. And so instead of going to Nineveh like God told him to, he decides to go the opposite direction. Right? He, he didn't want to go to the Ninevites because he knew if he went to the Ninevites, God would give them the message and they would have a chance to change and for God's grace to win. And Jonah didn't want God's grace to win with the Ninevites. Jonah wanted judgment for the Ninevites. So Jonah's, Jonah runs and there was God's grace for Jonah. God's grace for Jonah, looked like a storm. And it looked like sailors throwing him overboard into the sea. And it looked like a big fish swallowing him and spending three days inside the belly of a fish. Sometimes God's grace doesn't look like what we expect it to look like. Right? Sometimes it's a storm. Sometimes it's pain. Sometimes it's struggle. Sometimes it's our own weakness. And God's grace enters into that. So Jonah finally decides to follow God to Nineveh. And he's mad about the whole situation, and um, he gives a rather weak message to Nineveh. Like, like he's this prophet, right? He's supposed to speak so eloquently and give and give God's words to them. He says like five words to the Ninevites. Nineveh's going to be destroyed in forty days. <laughs> like, like that's his whole message. And like somebody heard it, and like the news spread, and they changed. They repented. They were like, okay, we're going to follow God. We don't want to be destroyed. We love God now. Cool. And and Jonah's like, ah. See, I knew this would happen, God. I knew you would forgive. I knew they would listen to you and you would love them. You would give them grace. Don't be a Jonah, you guys. <laughs> like, God's grace should make us more gracious to others, right? God's grace made Jonah bitter. Don't be a Jonah. Another prophet, uh, actually, Ezekiel was a priest turned prophet. Um, he was taken from his home and his temple, and he was forced into exile, right? A land um, far away from his home, full of pagan people with their pagan gods, um, far away from everything he'd ever known. Now, he was a priest, right? Like, he served in the temple. There was a routine of every day of the tasks that he had to complete in the temple. And so that's how he knew God, in the routine. 
in the temple. For him, that's where God is located. So now he's miles away from his home, from his temple, from his routine. And he doesn't believe, his theology won't allow him to believe that God is not just in that temple, God is also in exile with him. And so the book of Ezekiel opens with this crazy vision that Ezekiel has, and it ends with this prophet on his knees worshiping the one true God by the river of Babylon, by this river of pagan gods in a foreign land. So Ezekiel has this crazy vision that allows him to see that not only is God there in Jerusalem, God is here in Babylon too. Not only is his grace in the routine of the temple, but it's here in the wilderness of exile. Not only is God's grace in the holy land, but it's in all of creation. And we could go on in the Old Testament from Job to Nehemiah to Jeremiah, over and over a story of God's grace and weakness and in pain. But let's skip ahead to the New Testament. Like I said, we got to run. Oh, we're running out of room. Um, Peter, um, we come to Peter, right? Like, like Peter's this disciple of Jesus. He spent three years with Jesus. Jesus tells him near the end, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. It's not going to happen. Like, I'll follow you to death. And Jesus is like, yeah, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have betrayed me three times. Peter denies his own denial. No, 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 I'm not going to deny. But then he does, as you know. And as the rooster crows, he realizes what he's done. He, did, he has denied Jesus three times. And in John chapter 21, after the resurrection, Peter, <laughs> Peter does the Forrest Gump. Have you seen Forrest Gump? Like the best movie ever made. Um, Forrest Gump, you know, you know when he sees Lieutenant Dan on the dock, he's, he's a shrimp boat captain now. And, uh, and Forrest is like, Lieutenant Dan! And he jumps off the boat and like swims to Lieutenant Dan. Like that's what Peter did when he saw Jesus on the shore cooking breakfast. I bet Jesus! And so, so, so Peter jumps in, swims to shore, and like embraces his friend Jesus, right? Like, and Jesus, in, like in that moment, like in that last chapter of, of John, has this sort of like reinstating Peter. Uh, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. He asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I do. God, you, you know I do. Shepherd my sheep. Peter, do you love Three times, right? Jesus asked. Just like Peter denied him three times, Jesus allows Peter to say, I love you, Jesus, three times. And he invites Peter to be the leader that he knows he can be, right? God's grace and Peter's failure allows Peter to become the shepherd of the sheep, right? Like, like Jesus is going, is ascending. Peter, you've got some work to do. We've got a church to begin. So in all that pain and shame that Peter must have felt and experienced, he needed that grace, right? Like, like what hurts? Like, what, what, what do you have pain over? Like, like what are those, what's that past that you need God's grace for? Because he's there asking you, do you love me? And you have that chance to say, yeah, I do. Because whatever, whatever that, that was in Peter that allowed him to be the, the guy who offered that first sermon on Pentecost Sunday to, to be a leader in the church, that wasn't there that night that Jesus died. That, 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 that leadership skill, that, that confidence, that power, it wasn't there when they said, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? No, not me. That was, that was weakness. But 
the grace of God turned it into strength. And then we have Thomas, right? Like, like we know Thomas simply by the doubter, right? Like, like, hey, you know that guy that doubts in the Bible? Yeah, Thomas. Like, we, like we can pick that guy out. One of, one of the followers of Jesus. Like, like, like we got to understand, like after um, the cross and, and, and they saw Jesus die, they were in a lot of pain, right? They had a lot of expectations that they thought had just been crushed. And so when Thomas says what he says, I got to give him a little bit of credit. Like I probably would have been saying this too because the, the claim was made, yeah, yeah, Jesus was dead, but now he's alive, right? Things like that just don't happen in, in regular life, right? Like, like I don't know of people that were dead, well, except Bryn, um, that were dead and now are alive. Um, they're like, no, 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 Jesus is alive. And he's like, and, and Thomas and his pain and in his weakness, he says this, he says, I will never believe unless I see him and feel his scars. And I will never, like, that's pretty intense, like, claim. But you've got to understand it's coming from a place of pain, a place of, like, defeat. And so in God's grace, God does what he does. Jesus shows up to Thomas, gets in his face. He's like, here, touch it. Like, put your hand on my side. And Thomas is like, my Lord, my God, God's grace. Again, and, and you, you don't get to do this, by the way. <laughs> like, like, to doubt is not weakness. Doubt is a part of faith, right? Like, like if you're certain, then it's not faith. Like, like you have, like, we all have doubts. Like, and we should. Like, that's good. That's a part of faith. Uh, but you don't get to be, you don't get to say what Thomas said because um, he already did it. <laughs> like, like he, and it's written down so that we can experience it through him. So you don't get to be like, I'll never believe unless I touch his hand and put my hand in his side. Because like we have the story of that actually happening. So, and we have, we, have, we have the whole story, right? Like we have more than the picture, the limited picture of what Thomas could see. We have the mir- every miracle like in scripture. Like some people maybe witnessed one miracle. We get to see all these miracles. We get to see the whole story from, a- from Abraham all the way up to this Thomas guy who still doubted, like even though he was there. Like sometimes I think we say like, like if I saw a miracle, I would believe too. Like if I was around when Jesus was around, I would believe too. Well, we have the whole story. Like even, even Jesus, right, experienced pain and weakness, right? Even the, the cross, the symbol of salvation, wasn't a symbol of salvation to Jesus. It was a symbol of torture, Right, like so, so for Jesus and the ones who, who who looked at that moment when Jesus was on the cross, they didn't see salvation. They saw torture. They saw violence. They saw Babylon was victorious. Right, it looked as if the empire was strong and the kingdom was weak. And sin, my sin, our sin, piled up on Jesus so heavy and so dark that he couldn't see God's grace, right? Like he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like he had a moment of doubting the grace. And it looked like weakness. And it was painful. And yet God's grace wins. Right? And, And there's my story, and there's your story, and there's our story, 
all stories of pain, right? All stories of weakness, and yet God's grace wins. So eight and a half years ago, after my accident, I struggled with grief that often turned into anger toward God. Um, I had good days and bad days, but one of my struggles was praying for healing. I refused to pray for healing. I don't know. I can't really explain it. I don't know what my motives were. Um, it made me uncomfortable when other people prayed for my healing. Um, all I prayed for was to be okay, right? Like, like I just want to be okay with whatever my situation is. Like I want to be content with, with this, whether it's you healing me or me staying in a wheelchair. Um, that was my prayer. And, and I refused to ask him to make me the way I was or make me walk again or remove the spinal cord injury. Uh, so I didn't ask for healing. And, and I discussed this with Fred. Um, and Fred encouraged me that I needed to ask for healing. Like, you need to. Like, like do it. And, and I used the, um, the verse that we started off with for our practicing the presence. Like, no, no, no. Like, like, he didn't heal Paul and God's grace was sufficient. That's all I want is for God's grace to be sufficient. I'm not asking for him to heal me. And Fred pointed out, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Paul did ask three times. And I'm like, oh. And so I did. Like I, I, I prayed for healing. Um, and his grace is sufficient for me. Um, his strength and power are hopefully perfected in my weakness. Um, on my best days, I will let God's grace win in my weakness and pain. I... I still struggle, like I still have a hard time with this. You know, it's been eight years. I'm like a kid, right? Like learning to walk again, learning to wheelchair. Um, I have, I get pain, like like intense physical pain in my leg that's not real. It's like phantom nerve pain. I don't know what it is. Like I can't feel right here, but this is where it hurts. Um, I had surgery a few weeks ago and that was way harder than it would have been if I wasn't already had a spinal cord injury. Um, so it's hard, and there's um, there's bad days still, and I do admit that there are weaknesses. Um, but my story is a story of God's grace, right? Filling in where I lack, um, and He will continue to do that whether I want Him to or not, um, and He will do that for you too. And we struggle, right? WCC, it's no secret that uh, we're not perfect. <laughs> we, we have a lot of um, trials and struggles and like even like tension between us. Um, and yet we live in the grit of grace, right? Like, like we live um, together with our rule of life and who we are. Um, and we are determined to let God's grace win because he enters in, he struggles with us. Like, like, some of y'all are a struggle <laughs> for me. <laughs> you know, no, I, I love you. Like, but we struggle, right? Like, like sometimes we disagree. Sometimes there's, there's got to be a push and pull, a give and take, and a, and a compromise between us um, in order to make this life work, right? In order to let God's grace win. And I know y'all struggle with me too. Um, like, maybe we should wrestle every, <laughs> like after every service, like just like actually wrestle until somebody's hip is dislocated. I, 
I don't, I don't know. Like, like, like we're going to wrestle. Like we're going to like struggle together. And if you're not struggling, you need to check your pulse, right? Like, like, like we're going to struggle. Like that is the blessing. Like the blessing is that we are struggling. We are alive. We are still part of what God is doing in this world. And as if we're going to join him, there's going to be struggle. You guys can come up. And that's why I say with Paul in 2 Corinthians, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take, away, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Say it with me again. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, when I am weak, then I am strong. So I had a dream uh, a couple uh, last week. Um, okay, this is strange. Um, it was because I had, uh, so, so my daughter turned 16, my middle daughter turned 16, and I was putting together like a slideshow of like her growing up, and I was looking at all the pictures, and it was all, you know, memory lane, uh, nostalgia. Um, and okay, so, so in my dream, like, like it was like postings of these pictures um, on social media, right? And like on every picture, my friend had this prank going on me, or this like long con, right? And so every picture I posted, he would, pic he would post a picture of me taking that picture, right? Like, so he was there taking a picture of me, taking a picture of that moment. That's a weird dream, right? Like, where did that come from? Um, and so I woke up, like, I don't even like, remember who it was. Um, but, but he was posting pictures of a picture. Like, he was, rather than experiencing the moment, he was, like, out here taking a picture of the moment. And I feel like that's what we do sometimes with all these stories that we talked about today, right? Like, the, we're just taking it, we just see the picture of that moment instead of entering into that moment. Well, this table is an invitation for us to enter into the moment, right? Like, we don't want to just take a picture of a picture. We are in the picture. You are in the story, and this story is not finished being written. So we're going to stand, and we're going to sing, and as you come to this table, remember that you're invited into this story, and there's pain, and there's suffering, but there is a God who is with us, and there is grace that wins.